Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Friday, April 17th, we're studying Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32. St. Paul has laid out his thesis statement, the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. But why do people need salvation at all? From what does humanity need to be rescued? St. Paul begins to build his case as he answers these questions and more in today's text. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Dustin Beck. Pastor Beck serves at Holy Cross Lutheran Church in Warda, Texas. Pastor Beck, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Thanks so much, Pastor Apple. How are you today? I'm well. How are you? Good. Oh, doing great. How's, how's Warda? It's so good. Wonderful. So good. Yeah. Wonderful. That's yeah. great. Hallelujah. Christ is risen. Hey, he's risen indeed. Hallelujah. All right. So we didn't even script uh, that. No, we didn't. We didn't. And yeah. I'm, I'm glad that we got to say that because a lot of what we're going to talk about today, well, we're going to need news like that in the midst of, yeah. of the text that we've got for us today. So sure. we're, we're starting here in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, and we don't have a ton of context to cover. We've looked at the first 17 verses of the, of the book so far, but it's probably wise at this point to take a bit of time and, and lay out what's happening in the book of Romans. Paul's made his introduction. He's, he's put his thesis statement down in verses 16 and 17, and now he's going to build his case for that. So, Pastor Beck, just help us, give us an introduction into that outline of the book of Romans. What's Paul going to do, and where is he starting today? Oh, my goodness. Well, this is, uh, this is such, a, such a fantastic book. I mean, uh, this is I know many pastors, I know many lay people who say that this is their favorite book in the Bible, and uh, that's for a lot of reasons. Uh, it's one of my favorites, obviously, as well. Uh, this book, uh, Romans, covers more um, than pretty much any of the other doctrinal books in the Bible. Um, you have, uh, it's kind of been supposed by a lot of, uh, a lot of scholars that, um, you know, we don't exactly know how the church was founded in Rome. You know, whether it was people from the day of Pentecost or whether it was people who uh, came from one of Paul's uh, churches that he had planted, um, but then, you know, migrated, matriculated, made their way down to Rome. And uh, so when they got down there, um, you know, uh, they started a church. They told people about Jesus. Uh, praise the Lord for that. And then Paul caught wind. Hey, did you know there's a church down in Rome? And he said, that is new information to me. Uh, and so at least this is the way scholars have kind of put it together. And so when Paul sat down, um, from Corinth to write Romans, um, he just kind of laid it all out. He said, I don't know how much you know and how much you don't know, so I'm just going to put it all on paper. And so uh, we have here um, just this amazing book that is going to cover everything. But I, I know that the intro that I just gave made it sound like it's kind of a dry theological tome, but it's anything but that. I mean, Paul is engaging with these people. This is this is Paul um, really preaching to them through the scroll here. And uh, so he's going to uh, be dealing with the theme and the idea of righteousness. That's the, that's 
Kennedy to have in front of us. Um, and of course, anybody that remembers um, in, uh, in Romans chapter three, when we talk about the righteousness of God uh, that is revealed through faith alone, right? Um, we'll get to that in a, in a couple of weeks. Uh, but the whole book is about righteousness. So starting here at uh, 118, after the introduction has been made, uh, we're going to go through this whole section of um, how God has a righteous standard and nobody has lived up to it. Right. And so we're going to uh, Paul is going to kind of set everything up and uh, show us just how much we need a savior. Um, he's going to uh, to uh, I mean, uh, it'll culminate in chapter three when he says that all of sin and shall, uh, fall short of the glory of God. Right. So that's the direction that we're headed um, is to say um, that that all are sinners and all have this great need of salvation. Uh, but he's going to run through the themes of, of sin and salvation and sanctification. And then he's even going to go on to, to glorification, right? Just this idea uh, of the entire Christian story. Um, and, and I just, I think that it's such a wonderful thing that we're able to study this together. Um, he's going to go from uh, the revelation of God's righteous anger, his wrath um, up into, uh, he's going to talk about um, how God's uh, righteousness is intact, even though Israel uh, rejected him. That's a little bit later in the book. Uh, how they had rejected him in the past, and um, how they had uh, how they had rejected him in the present, um, and and then he has this word of hope about how God will uh, will restore them uh, in the end, right? And then there is actually some practical applications that um, we Christians who are righteous by faith, we actually have um, a righteous way of living that comes out on the other side of this. And so that's um, you know chapter twelve and everything moving on, living sacrifices and whatnot. Uh, but I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves because we're just in chapter one. Right. And and this this section then is, as you said, we're going to see the unrighteousness of man in contrast to the righteousness of God. Paul's laid out the righteousness of God that is revealed in the gospel in verse 17. Yeah. Now he's going to lay out the unrighteousness of man, all for the sake of, of moving us forward into that righteousness of God, which alone can save us. But how, how long is this section? I mean, just to give us a, and again, not to get too far afield into the book of Romans, because it can be hard to, to hold it all together here at once. But how, how far is Paul going to take us with the unrighteousness of man before he makes his turn into the righteousness of God that is the power of salvation? We're going to go well into the third chapter. <laughs> so that, uh, that, that means that your next couple of guests are going to have, uh, they're going to have a lot of fun. Uh, you should always... Hallelujah, Christ is risen, so we get some good news. Uh, but we're going to talk uh, for the first three chapters, um, up until chapter 3, verse 21, uh, when we start talking about justification and we start talking about the all the good by faith stuff. Um, up until that point, uh, we're just going to hear um, – we're going to hear about uh, how bad the problem is, um, which is, is really – that's the way that it ought to be done. I mean, that's uh, it's kind of serves as a model for our preachers. Um, I know that you and I uh, and, and most of the other pastors uh, uh, in our Senate have, uh, have read through uh, CFW Walther's Law and Gospel. And one of the things that he um, he stresses, emphasizes uh, when he's talking about distinguishing or applying law and gospel is that, you know, the law has to be preached first. Um, and the reason for that is because um, if you don't understand your need for the gospel, then you won't appreciate the gospel. And so Paul does that uh, very well. CFW Walther would be very pleased uh, um, to, 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 to see uh, that Paul in Romans, I think maybe that's where, where Walther got the idea. <clears throat> but the idea here is that you have to know just how bad the injury is, just how bad the problem is uh, before you can appreciate uh, how wonderful, how beautiful the solution is. 
And so and, he's going to he's going to lay going. that out for us for sure. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, and I'm I'm sure Paul would be glad to have uh, Walter Walter's approval, and I think yeah. Paul got it from Jesus, right? That the all this three is, good Lutherans. That's right. That's right. Yeah. No, I mean this is this is the the way that that Scripture speaks to us in law and in gospel. Yeah. In the law to show us our sin, in the gospel to show us our Savior. Just to use those very simple terms, right. and and just as a heads up to to all, everyone who's listening, and in a week, just under a week, actually, on April 23rd, we're, we're going to take a bit of an excursus and look specifically at law and gospel and why that distinction is important in the scriptures and where it shows up in Romans, because it is such a, a key distinction. So so stay tuned. If, if this is something that you've heard before, if it's a bit new to you, this matter of law and gospel, stay tuned, because next week we're really going to dig into that and, and find out why that's so important. And as, as Pastor Beck, as you've been saying, what Paul's doing here is he's, he's now going to, to lay out the beginning of the law. This is why everything is so bad. This is the problem. This is why you need salvation. So let's go ahead and, and read the text. We're in Romans chapter one, beginning at verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools." and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions, or their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. That's the text for today, Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32. That's one of those, if you were to read it in church, Pastor Beck, and you say, this is the word of the Lord, and everybody says, thanks be to God, with a bit of, of trembling, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So, so gospel to him. <laughs> right, right. So so there's there's connections here between the thesis in, in 16 and 17, and then in verse 18. In verse 17, Paul says that in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. And here in verse 18, as he, he begins to preach the law, 
now it's not the righteousness of God that's revealed, but it's the wrath of God that's being revealed. And it's being revealed not because of any righteousness, but because of unrighteousness right. of, of men. So take us into that first verse. Yeah, so the idea here, um, the wrath of God being revealed from heaven against the ungodliness, the unrighteousness of men, um, and by their unrighteousness, it's the truth. Man, the, um, the idea that's going on right here um, is the fact that um, in order for God to be righteous, this is going to be a little strange, in order for God to be righteous, he also has to have righteous wrath, right? Um, because to be right... Um, means that he is just, it means that he is holy, it means that he is good. Um, and so for something to be good, um, you have to uh, distinguish between the good and the not good. <clears throat> and so um, God in his holy, righteous, um, good, just nature, uh, he has to be set apart uh, from that which is unholy, that which is unrighteous, that which is uh, impure. And that's uh, what we're going to see here is uh, he's going to draw this contrast between um, his will, uh, which is what he obviously established in creation, um, and what he's uh, maintained. It's always God's will. Right? That's why the, the Ten Commandments um, are still a picture of what God wants for his creation. Uh, but we're going to see that through the lens of just how poorly um, mankind has uh, has kept those commandments and has followed his will. So uh, we do have to um, have to spend a little bit of time with God uh, today, and that's what this entire section is about: um, is the fact that um, in His righteousness, God is angry on account of sin. That sounds a little weird to say, right? <laughs> well, it, it may sound a little weird to say, but as you've laid out, I think we it's necessary for us to say, if we want God to be righteous in saving us, then we have to see his righteousness in his wrath against our sin. We don't, we yeah. can't have one without the other. Right. Because if God were to just, you know, sweep it under the rug or to just say, that's no problem, or if he were to bend the rules for us, then what kind of a God would he be? He wouldn't be holy. He wouldn't be good. He wouldn't be righteous. Uh, because the whole idea, the whole concept of, of righteousness um, is the idea of, well, being right. You know what I mean? Uh, that, that's one of those words that's kind of hard to unpeel. Uh, but to be in the, um, uh, to be in the proper uh, way. And so he would not be, by definition, righteous um, if he bent the rules or if he, um, if he said, you know what? Um, I can't stay mad at you guys. Uh, you know, let's we'll just let you live however you want to live. I mean, uh, we're going to get into that in, in a little in a few chapters, right? Uh, shall we go on sinning that grace may abound? Um, that's one of the the funniest conversational people that, that Paul has. You know, it's it's the idea of should we just uh, go on sinning and God can go on forgiving because I love to sin and God loves to forgive. It's a match made in heaven, right? I'll keep on sinning, God will keep on forgiving. Um, that's not the way that this works. That's not the way that this works at all because God is righteous. And so God saves us. God redeems us from our sin, from our unrighteousness and from that slavery so that we can live a different life. Um, so we, we have to have a God who is, um, who is just, we have to have a God, uh, who abides, uh, plays by his own rules maybe is another way of, of thinking about this. The rules that God has established in creation are his will, his law, uh, his rule and his order. And so we want a God that's going to play by his own rules. Um, otherwise, what kind of a God is that? 
And just so that that we're clear, this wrath of God, these rules that God is playing by, because they're his own rules, his law that he's set forth, what what is this wrath that we're talking about, Pastor Beck? Uh, so the wrath is the judgment of God that comes from being isolated from him. Uh, you see, what we're going to find as we go through the rest of the passage um, is that the heart of the issue here um, is unbelief or idolatry. And words for the same thing, right? Um, that we would... Uh, we would worship, we would trust in, we would uh, we would cling to something other than him. And um, clinging to something other than God, uh, it, it only has one result, right? And that is God's going to give you, um, God's going to give you over to, uh, to your disbelief, to your, you know, if you're, if you trust in something that's not God, God's going to say, okay, well, you can, you can trust in that and see how it works for you um, in the life that is to come. So when we're talking about the wrath of God here, we absolutely are talking about matters of, of salvation and damnation. We absolutely are talking uh, about those who have um, traded in, uh, as it says here, the truth. Um, they've suppressed the truth, right? Those who have traded in the truth for a lie, um, and that lie is the original lie of the devil, right? Did God really say, um, and, and that that temptation to become like God, that temptation to have our minds uh, brightened and, and, and enlightened, um, that temptation to uh, to have it our own way and to figure it out ourselves, um, and that only leads to one place, and that's death. So Paul starts this as he digs into this. Then the unrighteousness that he's talking about, particularly as you said, is unbelief, idolatry. He talks right there in verse eighteen about their unrighteousness in that they suppress the truth, and then he starts talking about well, what that truth is—the fact that that they should know. God. And and in today's day and age, when there are many who say there is no God, or if there is a God, I can't know him, perhaps this argument from Paul is a bit striking. So, I mean, how is it that Paul says they should have known God? In fact, they did know God, but they've suppressed it. Yeah, I mean, this is this is one of those passages that um, I've often gone back and forth about whether or not this is an effective or a, um, a compelling uh, passage uh, you know, obviously, it's the word of God, and so of course, it's it's useful, it's it's active, it's living. But at the same time, you know, people in our day and in our age, uh, they've gotten so cut off from the word of God, such that I mean, there are people whose you know whose grandparents, you know, had nothing to do with the church or with Jesus, um, and so these these poor kids, you know, they have uh, they've never heard anything about this. But that's the point of the text. The point of the text is to say that you know, you are not the be-all, end-all of this universe. There is something bigger than you, um, and, and it's God, right? He's God. Um, and, and so there is this um, this blanket statement of you should have known that I don't know that it's the best tact to take in terms of uh, – in terms of evangelism or outreach, uh, to say you really deep down believe that there is a God, you just are suppressing that truth. Uh, maybe that's not the the best way to make friends and influence people for the kingdom or something. But uh, there is this um, this truth that we all all of us deep down know, um, and everybody in creation knows that there is something more than themselves, um, and He's God. 
And so we can we can understand this as a starting point. Um, we can you know maybe ask questions of people. Uh, we can we can talk with them about it and say you know how did that come into being? Um, I think that there's something to the Socratic method of just saying, well, where did everything come from? You know, just kind of ask some questions uh, when you're talking with folks. Uh, but this is um, this is a blanket condemnation uh, amongst all people um, is to say that nobody has any, the excuse. I, I didn't know that there was a God. Um, everybody should be able to know. Everybody can know. Everybody does know that there's something beyond themselves, that, that God has created everything. Uh, that's, it's maybe not a comfortable thing for us to talk about today uh, because that, the implication to that, um, well, maybe that knocks down some of, our, um, some of the things that had comforted us uh, about, you know, you hear all kinds of things about, well, what about people that have never heard of well, What about people that, you know, live in deepest, darkest, wherever, um, and they, you know, they never had the opportunity to hear the gospel. Um, but this says pretty clearly that everybody has had the opportunity to know that there is God. God's, um, God's nature, God's existence, it is manifest in creation. And so we're all without excuse, right? Um, and usually the, uh, the nice way that you can respond to people that say, you know, but what about people in uh, whichever continent, you know, they're worried about, um, say, you know, maybe you're feeling called towards the mission field, or maybe you're feeling called to support a missionary, um, you know, uh, to, to send the word of God, um, and specifically the gospel there, uh, because that's one thing that, um, is not manifest, um, and is not plainly visible, uh, to them, right, uh, is the gospel. All that you can know, uh, by your, by your five senses, all that you can know, um, by, uh, that which is plain to see um, is this God of wrath. Right. And and like you said, where in the conversation with another person do you put this out there? That that may be a, a matter of, of own your own personal judgment as to what where the person is, what they already do or don't right. know. And, and so it may not be the very first thing that you say. Paul is here writing to Christians and, and is laying this out for them, as you said at the beginning, in a very structured manner, moving from law to gospel to, to Christian life. Uh, but but having said that, this is this is quite true that, as you said, it's it's not just that people should have known, but people actually do know that yeah. that there is a God. And, and, and also a very key thing that you mentioned that Paul brings out is, well, what should you know about God from the fact that creation exists? Well, he, he mentions God's eternal power and his divine nature, that that he is divine. He, he's something different, something other than you are. And he's got this eternal power and, and you, you, you don't have it. And that's what you should be able to know. And, and in fact, what you do know, because stuff is here. Creation is here yeah. and, and to deny it. Well, I mean, you can do that and that's what people are doing. Paul says, but you're really without excuse. And I think that um, I, I don't think it's a stretch uh, to say that the rest of this passage that we're studying today, the rest of the chapter, um, that Paul kind of um, he teases out exactly what it is uh, or what it looks like when we don't know God, when we suppress that truth. Right. And so um, I had mentioned earlier the moral code. I had mentioned earlier God's will for his creation, you know, the commandments and everything. Um, and I think that. Obviously, he's going to get into that before the chapter's over, um, and that is what it looks like when you deny, you know, when you deny God, when you deny who He is. Um, 
of course you're going to wind up in all sorts of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, etc. Right? All of those things are going to come from not knowing um, or not not knowing God to be who He is. So that's it's all tied together here. Sure, sure, and and so not only do they not know God and they're suppressing the truth, but then they they go even further than that. They suppress the truth that they know God, that he is eternal, that he is divine, that he's powerful, and then they replace him. And, and I think that's, I mean, this is the talk of unbelief and then idolatry. Right. And that's that's where, where Paul starts to go, is that they they didn't know God, or they did know him, but they didn't honor him, they didn't give thanks to him, and then even worse, they replaced him with these idols. Yeah. Yeah, and so there there can't be, you know, an outright just unbelief by itself. It's always paired with idolatry, okay? Because um, you, you always trust in something. You always um, rely on something or someone, you know, whether that's, uh, whether that's your parents, whether that's, you know, some other false god, whether that's uh, your, your family, your, uh, your job, your government, dare I say, right? Um, you know, we always have, and, and the biggest idol of, of all, of course, is yourself, right? Um, we are by nature, uh, by our fallen sinful nature, we are the type of people who want to fix it ourselves. Um, and there's, you know, the big problems in life, we just can't. We, that's just not the way that, that's not the way that God has built it. And so, yeah, um, you mentioned unbelief, but, you know, unbelief and idolatry are just two different sides of the same coin. Yeah, and and we'll we'll pick that theme up, expand upon it as Paul does here in these various forms of idolatry and their effects on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on Worldwide KFU. We're going to be right back. Please stick around. Did you know that for over 40 years, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries with low-cost loans and resources? This is Rahema Kavuga, Synod Relations Manager of Lutheran Church Extension Fund. Because of faithful investors like you, we've been able to help church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations. To learn how you can get involved, call 800-843-8233. Hello, I'm Gary Duncan. The COVID-19 pandemic is affecting our routines, vocation, and worship. Recently, you received a mailing about our annual share fundraising event. However, during this unprecedented time, KFUO Radio is postponing our on-air portion of share until June 25th through the 27th. Gifts can still be made through the mail and online, plus those gifts will be matched by this year's matching fund. I know times are tough, but when you are able to bless our ministry, please do so. Opportunities to share the hope that is ours through Jesus Christ increase at times like this. And as a partner, you provide for those in our neighborhoods and around the world to hear the gospel message through KFUO Radio. I pray for you and your safety, and I ask for you to pray for KFUO, our staff, and volunteers during this difficult time. And again, our plans are to move the broadcast dates of our on-air share until June 25th through the 20th. Thank you for listening and supporting KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. 
I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa, host of Thy Strong Word, taking your questions as we go through the entire Bible, chapter by chapter. Let's read together with guest pastors from around the country and the church around the world, taking chapters and verses together in context, every passage fitting together in the Lord Jesus, because He is the Word of God. Let's read together. Thy Strong Word, weekday mornings at 11 on Worldwide KFUO. Underwritten by Lutheran Heritage Foundation, lhfmissions.org. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. On this Friday, April 17th, we're looking at Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32 with Pastor Dustin Beck of Holy Cross Lutheran Church in Warda, Texas. Pastor Beck, prior to the break, we were beginning to talk about how unbelief never really exists without some sort of faith. There's, there's always some kind of idol. And before we, we get into the specific ways that Paul talks about those idols, I think it's, it's wise to, to pick up something that you mentioned early on, that all of this suppressing of the truth is, is holding on to a lie. And it takes us back to the, the original lie of Satan in the garden. And Paul, Paul gets to that when he, when he talks about in, in doing this, in knowing God, but suppressing that truth, we think we're going to be wise. But in reality, we're just fools. Yes. Can you elaborate on that a little bit for us? <laughs> I'm sure that I could, yeah. yeah so. <laughs> Thank you. So uh, the, the idea of, you know, you see Adam and you see Eve there um, listening to, uh, to this creature instead of listening to the voice of God, their father who created them. Um, I mean, that's, that's the most foolish thing. Uh, from our perspective that we can imagine. Of course, we do the exact same thing each and every time that we sin. Uh, so we're kind of also, well, without excuse, to quote Paul from Romans 1. Um, <clears throat> but the idea here is that we always think that we're doing uh, the smartest thing. We always think that we're, you know, we're uh, um, getting out of a bad deal and into a good deal. We always think that we're um, we're exchanging, um, you know, uh, kind of the old and 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 maybe the tried and true, but we're going to jump to something new, something novel, something, um, you know, new and improved, right? Isn't that the the expression they use? And so we're going to jump to something new. Um, but Paul says in verse twenty three here in Romans one, they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So that's talking specifically about idols, right? But uh, uh, the picture here is that you have um, the glory of God, you have, uh, you know, which he has given to his, uh, to his creation, to mankind. Um, and you just say, uh, I'd rather have the other thing. Uh, maybe it's a little bit of uh, the grass is always greener on the other side uh, syndrome or whatever. Uh, but you have this idea of, I'm just going to go over there and try this out for a bit. And um, what we see is we see a, a threefold um, fall there. We see um, that our souls are corrupted, right? We, we exchange the glory of the immortal God. Uh, we see that our minds are corrupted uh, when in, instead of becoming wise, you know, the, uh, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? Instead of becoming wise, they became fools, right? Mm -hmm. And then the third, uh, the third kind of wing of this is that um, uh, there's an idolatry of the body that takes place. And so um, where our, uh, our head and our heart go, uh, there our body follows. Um, and so the lie uh, then permeates um, every fiber of our being such that um, our thoughts are impure, 
um, our motives, our our soul, our faith is uh, is is misplaced, um, and then the fruit of that uh, in our outward works is just as tainted as everything on the inside. Hmm. So the, I don't know if I just, answered your question, but I I talked for a few minutes. That worked. So Thanks. the the way that the way that Paul is laying it out, then just to to follow along with with what you're saying there, where we've seen so far that the soul is corrupted in the text and now he's he's showing us how our minds are corrupted in this this matter of thinking we're wise but actually we've become totally foolish and now he's going to move into this idolatry of the body and that's where this this phrase that paul uses twice in this text god gave them up to to something that's that's the god as we've said on other other shows, I recall it particularly when we were in the book of Exodus, and it came to the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. Right. That that God lets you have it your way. You want it this way. Here it is. Right. Which, um, man, to be frank, that's just a that's a hard pill to swallow. Right. We um, we we could ask ourselves, you know, how could God give them up to these passions? These are not good for them. Uh, but this is this is kind of this is part of God's nature um, is that he's not going to force himself on us. Right? He's not the the kind of uh, a God who is going to say, um, you know, worship me or else I'll zap you out of existence or something like that. But instead, um, he is he he sets himself up for rejection. Right. Um, he puts himself out there and he says, if you want to go your own way, you can go your own way. Right. Um, and, and a lot of people do. Uh, in fact, most people do. That's, um, you know, the, the whole of the faithful remnant of Israel. Um, the idea there of a remnant is that there's only a few. Um, Jesus talks about this. He says that wide is the road that leads to destruction. Most people are going to go down that one. Narrow is the road that leads to the kingdom. And so when we talk about this idolatry of the body, and it says that God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, um, it basically says that God is going to let them uh, make their own bed and then sleep in it. Um, it's, uh, you know, and this, this honestly, this is, I hadn't thought about this before, uh, but this is kind of, um, this is a theme that actually comes out in a handful of the Psalms, right? Um, uh, whenever, uh, whenever David or one of the other psalmists um, is writing against, you know, those who hate him, uh, he basically asks, he prays to God um, that they would fall into their own traps. Yeah. And this is kind of like that, you know, um, you want to, you want to go off and do things your way. You want to go off and, uh, you know, I like you, you, you quoted uh, a burger chain there that they want to have it their way. Um, not, not naming which burger chain that is unless they're a sponsor. Um, just kidding. Uh, but, but you know, if you want to do it that way, um, then you can do that, but that's going to be your downfall. Right. Um, that's going to be the thing. That's going to be your own undoing. That's going to be the place your life suffers. The place in which you are um, you are finally uh, ultimately condemned um, is in that particular facet of life, that particular sin, that particular act. And so God lays it out um, in that manner uh, when he says that, um, you know, the lust of your heart uh, towards impurity, the dishonoring of your bodies, that's that's where this is headed. And Paul, uh, he very boldly uses that statement that God gave them up to it. Um, God's going to allow it to happen. God's, um, he's not going to swoop in and, you know, put a a flaming sword in front of every temptation uh, to sin. 
uh, but instead he's going to let us uh, let us fall into sin um, so that we could hopefully turn from that sin and realize just how bad it is. Mm, right. Yeah. That that theme. Uh, that's a good a good mention of the Psalms there that we see in the in the Psalms and also throughout Scripture that God allows evil to destroy itself or or he directs the events so that the evil destroys itself. And I think right. there's there's several examples of this in the Old Testament. And I I, I, was, I was thinking the, the the one that comes to mind, and this maybe isn't the best example, but I do think it's an example. We think of in the book of Judges and Gideon and how Gideon gets this really big army and the Lord keeps telling him, no, that that's too big. And he keeps whittling it down until there's only 300. And then the Lord's battle plan is, is ultimately some jars and torches and trumpets. And the people of Israel, they shout. And the people of Midian end up killing themselves. And, and that's, I mean, again, that's maybe not the best example, but it, it is one. And I think we see this in other places in the Old Testament where the Lord lets the evil destroy itself. And right. he directs those events. And, and to see that here as well, that God gives, that doesn't necessarily only happen in these large scale groups, but also within individual lives as well. Sure. And as you said, that's a, that's a rather terrifying thought to think that, that my sin would, would lead me just to destroy myself. Right. But also, um, this is probably a, a very appropriate time to remind everybody, um, that God tempts no one. Hmm. Like it says in the catechism. Yeah. We pray in the petition, lead us not into temptation, that God would guard us and keep us so that the devil, the world, and our sinful nature would not deceive us or mislead us into false belief, despair, or other great shame and vice. Now, I think I've pointed out on your show before um, the the order that that occurs in. Um, the great shame and vice thing is usually what we think of when we think of but that's all the way down at the end of the list. False belief is the thing that uh, we want to be protected uh, from that temptation, uh, the temptation to trust in something other than God, um, the despair comes after it, and then the false, uh, the um, the great shame and vice. Um, there is, <clears throat> there is hope for we who are Christians, right? And uh, again, anytime that you study just a, a snippet of the text, uh, as we are in this uh, this study, um, it's it's good to begin with Alleluia, Christ is risen, uh, because we're going to be uh, just talking about the law today. Um, and so we do have to remember that there is gospel coming in just a couple of short chapters um, and that the gospel um, will be all the more sweet, uh, you know, after we're done dealing with uh, just how just how dire, just how sour the law is. Does that make sense? It does. It does. And and as you I mean, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned there in the those parts of the catechism, which, of course, Luther's drawing straight from the scriptures that God tempts no one. But also, I mean, and this is another, and I think we've answered this question on on this show before. But it's it's important to to think about because as we read a text like this, there is terror that strikes our hearts. That boy, this is this is the real consequence of my sin when I exchange the truth for a lie and start following after the lie. Pastor Beck, how do, how do I know if if God's giving me up to the lust of my heart? Well, first of all, I think that it's okay for us to be just a little bit terrified. Um, I mean, there, the law is supposed to terrify our consciences. So that's that's what the law does, right? Uh, the law always accuses. Um, we, we've we've always said as Lutherans, um, the law is always going to remind us that we have not done enough. Um, and so, when we see this text, when we 
when we hear uh, about um, how God gives them up to dishonorable passions, um, we have to be reminded uh, of the fact that, um, you know, the sins that we commit, um, the sins that uh, that we uh, we carry around in our bodies each and every day. Um, ultimately, uh, we will suffer a temporal consequence for those sins, and that is death. Right. Um, but thanks be to God that He gives us the victory through Jesus, who is risen. Right. Um, so we always have to focus on that. Um, there's there's so much in this text, uh, Pastor Apple. Um, I, I I do want to move forward if that's okay. Um, Go for I, it. Yeah, no, I just, I think that there's, uh, we get into some specific situations here uh, from verse 26 um, and on, right? The fact that um, there are these sins that are, um, that are evident, these sins that take place um, uh, in the midst of the very first, um, the very first institution that God put into creation, right? Marriage, Um those dishonorable passions include women exchanging natural relations uh, those uh, for those that are contrary to nature and the men also giving up natural relations. I mean, this is this is one of the clearer texts in Scripture that talks about uh, homosexuality. And, and I would say, you know, any kind of a sixth commandment adultery uh, type issue. Um, and this is in Paul's words, you know, this is evidence of these dishonorable passions. This is evidence of that idolatry um, that says that what I want matters most, which is, again, I mean, maybe not the most comfortable thing to talk about. Um, and this isn't to, you know, to, um, to make any kind of political statements or anything like that. This is just simply to say that God has a will um, that he has expressed towards us. This is the way that he wants creation to be. Um, and when we step outside of that, when we when we live our lives outside of that, um, there is a consequence to it. We see this a ton in our uh, in our world today, don't we? We do, we do. So, and and particularly then in verses twenty six through uh, twenty seven, there when it when he does specifically talk about homosexuality as this, he he uses that as his his first example, and and. Not the only example, as we will see when we get into that right. long list at the at the end, but it is the the first example he gives as something that is contrary to nature, and and think about you know, going back to his his original argument that you knew God from what you saw. Right now he's talking about what God gives you up to. Here's something that you should have known from creation, and you've totally reversed it. And so this is the the first example that he uses. Is that is that going too far, Pastor Beck? No, I don't think that's going too far at all. I think that you know uh, one of the uh, one of the things that I think is really uh, is really beautiful is when we uh, you know, I know that you probably do this as well. Anytime that we we sit down with a young couple or you know a couple of any age that's interested in getting married, uh, we we ex you know we tell them we explain to them that you know the institution of marriage um, is you know, it's the first and greatest institution that God ever put before there was government, uh, before there were parents and children, before there was your boss and employees, uh, before the fall into sin, God created marriage, right? Um, and so, you know, it's it's no big surprise that marriage is the first things that the devil tries to undo, um, that marriage is, is one of the, uh, one of those, um, one of those battlegrounds, one of those uh, places where we see the will of God versus uh, the will 
of the Antichrist, the will of, of those who stand opposed to God. Um, and so I, I think you're absolutely right to say um, that that's, um, that institution is under attack uh, because of idolatry, because of unrighteousness, because of sin. And and Paul then, you know, he, he concludes in verse 27 on that particular matter that they receive in themselves the due penalty for their error. And and there, I mean, when we look at the world around us and and the places where, as you said, not just in matters of homosexuality, but the, the sixth commandment as a whole, right. when, when you look at the ways that we've twisted God's gift of marriage and we've abused what he's protecting in the sixth commandment, I mean, that's the place where there's so much hurt right. because of these these just twisting of, of what God's given us. Oh, everyone suffers. You know, it's one of those things where there's um, um, nobody is exempt from the hurt of um, of that particular sin, right? Um, of of any breaking of the sixth commandment, anything outside of marriage, um, it winds up wounding, winds up uh, creating victims. Uh, out of everybody in its wake, right? The um, the children, the spouse, um, the 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 individual themselves, um, just a terrible situation. So, um, I mean, that's a I think that's a helpful uh, helpful short little uh, couple of verses here uh, because it does remind us of that that central institution uh, to what it is uh, in, what it is that God has created for us uh, to to be and to enjoy. But then in the last uh, paragraph, you know, he moves on and he just kind of pulls out all the stops. It's an organ reference I learned a few years ago. Um, he's going to just let it fly, going to go after um, everybody at this point, right? Um, all of the things that they've done. Right. Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, this verses 26 and 27, this is example A or exhibit A. There's a, a courtroom yeah. reference for you that, okay. that this is the primary example of people giving up what is natural, what they should have known in creation and twisting it. But but as you said at the beginning, what Paul's doing here in this whole section going into the middle of chapter three is he's indicting everyone. Right. Everyone is a part of this unrighteousness of man that needs the righteousness of God for salvation. And so he's not going to leave it with just exhibit A, but now to go back to your organ reference, he's going to pull out all the stops and indict everyone. So, so start taking us into that last paragraph, verses 28 through 32, this long list and, and everything that Paul's doing there. Well, and you pointed out a really good point there about Exhibit A and then moving on, uh, because in Exhibit A, in 26 and 27, uh, he actually adds some commentary right? About what, you know, how this is working, not just for women, but also for men, um, how this is, you know, um, how this is dishonorable and how this uh, receives a penalty. Um, so he, he elaborates on exhibit A, but then exhibits B through, I'm not good at counting by letters, so we'll call it M. Uh, he is going to just list these things off and say, you know, if you want me to elaborate on any one of these, I could do as much as I did on exhibit A. But he's going to go through all kinds of, uh, and he even says, with all manner of unrighteousness. Um, but if that weren't enough, he wants you to know that we're talking about evil and covetousness and malice, envy and murder and strife, deceit, maliciousness. I mean, these, some of these are covered by the commandments. Other, others of these are just covered by, I mean, should we say common sense? I don't know if that's all that common these days. Uh, but anything and everything that you can imagine, bad words and bad um intentions and motives and actions he's just going to lay them out here and i mean it's it's one of those things um 
I think they refer to it as serial depiction, which is you're just going to make a big, long, exhaustive list. And the word exhaustive there should be emphasized because, I mean, just reading through verses 28 uh, through 32, I mean, that's a long list of stuff. That's a long list of terrible behaviors. I mean, can anybody read that out loud without saying, we get your point, Paul. They did bad stuff, right? Um, now, what I really love about this, uh, and maybe I don't love it because it's uh, of, of the what it's conveying, the actual point of it, uh, but what I think is really masterfully done here, and of course, Paul is, is, is writing this inspired by the Holy Spirit, uh, but Paul, um, he sets up this entire chapter, uh, or at least this entire section from 18 to 32, um, and the word that keeps resounding going all the way back up um, to, um, well, all the way back up to verse 19 is they or them, right? And so Paul is going to set them up to pull the rug out from under the Romans, okay? And I think he's going to do the same to, to you and me, uh, if that's okay. Because he's going to set us up, uh, and this entire time he's saying, you know, uh, God gave them up. Uh, for this reason, God gave them um, He says, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind. They were filled. Um, they are full of envy. They are uh, gossips and slanderers. This entire passage here um, is this commentary on they and on them. Um, and so, you know, I mean, maybe somebody reads this and says, yeah, that's that's all those non-Christians. That's all those those people that uh, that hadn't figured it out. That's all those people that are um, you know, blasphemers and everything else. Uh, and so he kind of, he sets it up that way. But then in chapter two, the very first two words say, therefore you, the first phrase says, therefore you have no excuse. So he's going to, he's going to turn the tables a little bit from condemnation on all of those people who should have known better and they did know better, but they did it wrong anyways. And he's going to turn the tables and all of a sudden now he's pointing at you and he's saying, and you don't have any excuse either. Right. Um, maybe especially you, uh, you know, presuming all these Romans, you know, they're Roman Christians. And so he's saying, you've got even less excuse for your idolatry, for your disbelief. You've got even less excuse for your poor behavior and your not fit for a Christian. Um, this is, I mean, it, it's a, it's a, like I said, a masterfully done um, uh, move here, uh, rhetorically speaking, uh, to go from their sin to your sin, uh, and to say that yours is is just as bad. And and that's a that's a you singular that he uses there in two verse one. So yeah. you you individually are a part of this them and and just thinking forward a little bit into chapter two as he as he moves into chapter two and starts talking to you he's going to say that you includes you gentile and you jew both i mean he's he's really he, he's laid out everything very wide wide view here and he's going right. to narrow it back down to specific cases and then he's going to bring it back wide again until it is all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And, and there's, I mean, this, this list, you know, it's, it's striking to me the way that Paul begins it and ends it. He, he talks about a debased mind doing things that ought not to be done. The, those who practice these things deserve to die. And, and within these things are, are well, goodness, disobedient to parents, 
Yeah. Wow. Wow. You're telling me I'm that bad, Paul, because I've, I've been disobedient to parents. I mean, it's, it's very striking that, that Paul, I mean, he just, he is laying it on thick to show you the, the true problem. And, and Pastor Beck, we've got just under three minutes left here on the morning. And we've, we've spent a lot of time laying out the problem and rightly so. And as you said, we need to have this terror at the law, but as we, as we wrap things up for us this morning, Help us to see that that glimmer of, of gospel with about two minutes oh, left. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. I was hoping you'd give me a chance to speak a little bit of gospel to the people. Um, yeah, so here's here's the truth of the matter is that uh, that point that we just made, um, that Paul lists off everything bad, all of the all of the evil, all of the raucous behavior, all of the the unbelief and the idolatry, and he talks about it being uh, a them problem, that he's gonna go into it being a you problem. Um, the good news for us. Um, is that God loved the world so that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And not only did God love the world, but he loves you, right? Um, that the the solution is every bit as universal and it's every bit as individual. Um, that That's where Paul is eventually going is to say, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace as a gift. So that's where we're headed. That's where we're going. You just got to buckle up and you got to hold on a little bit longer uh, because that's where Romans moves um, is to say that this is just uh, he is so great. He has loved us and he has uh, lived a life of perfect righteousness and gifted it to us so that we might be the righteousness of God. Pastor Dustin Beck is the pastor at Holy Cross Lutheran Church in Warda, Texas, helping us this morning with Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32. Pastor Beck, thank you for your time today. My pleasure. Hallelujah. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. All have sinned. They, they have sinned, Paul says. They knew who God was. They rebelled against him. They replaced the truth with a lie, and in that lie, they experienced horrible consequences for all manner of sin, all manner of evil, horrible things, and all are guilty. They are guilty. You are guilty. I am guilty. The solution is just as universal. Christ died for all. Christ died for them. Christ died for you. Christ died for me. Christ died for us because he loves us to give us the righteousness of God freely by his grace received through faith. That's where we're headed in the book of Romans. That's the good news that Paul will proclaim to us sinners. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again next week. 